I first met today's guest, Jen, when I was a guest on her podcast, A is for Adversity. I really enjoyed our conversation, and so I was excited to have her on this podcast. And we jump into that topic, adversity. But here's what I really appreciate about it. You may be listening to these episodes and thinking, these folks have some intense stories. Who am I to complain about the little things going on in my life? I've said that before. I've often diminished my experiences because I immediately think of others who are going through much harder things than I am. And we press on that in this episode. Because sometimes what we're experiencing, even if it seems small, is still significant. We go on to press into what do we do when we experience adversity? How can we shift our perspectives? And how can we experience God in the midst? So if you're experiencing adversity, whether it's small or large, this episode is for you. You're listening to episode 97 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you for this opportunity for Jen and I just to talk about who you are, and what you've been up to, how you work. And really, we just want you to take this conversation wherever you want to take it. We just pray that you would guide our words, guide our thoughts. If there are things you want us to sit with or avoid, that you would guide us in each of those ways. And above all, we just pray that you are honored and glorified by this conversation. But also, we look forward to seeing what you might bring out that we might not have expected. I us pray in this holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. So Jen, I'm excited because we have met before because I was on your podcast and we got to have a nice conversation there. Before we jump in, one thing I like to do with guests is give a way for them to share briefly, but in a fun way, who they are. And so I come up with a random prompt that's not really planned ahead, but here's what your prompt is. Okay. I have just bought a DVD and on the front, it's got your picture and it says Jen right across the top. And on the back, I flip it over. And apparently this DVD is about you. And so I'm reading the little description on the back cover that tells me who you are to make me decide, do I want to buy this DVD or not? What does the back cover of the Jen DVD say? Goodness. Okay. Well, it would say that I'm in the boy mom club. I have two little boys. One is three and one just turned one. And then I have a third boy on the way due in June. So I'm definitely outnumbered. (laughs) I have a huge zest for life. I love living life to its fullest and discovering new things and learning and absorbing as much as I can. I love to bake and I collect inspirational quotes. And oftentimes my friends will say that I have a quote for every situation or every scenario. It's pretty funny because I'll just, oh yeah, that reminds me of a quote and I'll I'll just, so my life could be lived in quotes. I I really appreciate what other people say as a way to define what's happening in my life. I like it. I've decided that based on what you just said, yours is going to be, man, there's some director that does this stylized thing. Is it Wes Anderson? But somebody has it where there's different sections of the movie and there's a title that comes up. And so that's what your movie is going to be. It'll have a quote, an inspirational quote that'll be the lead in to the next chapter. And that will be the theme of that little section. There you go. So <laughs> that's what I've decided. Yeah. <laughs> so if you ever make a movie of your life, I need to get some royalties from that. There you go. But <laughs> tell me also a little bit about your podcast, because that was, again, where we met. But I really love what you're doing there. Yeah. So as I mentioned, I like collecting quotes. And so when I was in sixth grade, 
that's when I started writing them down. And so I would type them on the computer and make them into different fonts and add clip art and things. And I would print them out when I had a page. And so I started gluing them into a journal so I could decide the order and how it looked. And then it's funny because I actually had to get that journal rebound because the binding fell off. So that was the brainchild for my podcast. I ended up reorganizing my quote book to make a new version that has the quote separated by category because that's what a lot of people look for. Although I still like the original because it's nice to read them randomly too. Mm -hmm. But I'm a teacher and so the ABCs came to mind. So I have each quote separated by topic according to the letters of the alphabet. So A was adversity, B was BU, C chasing meaning and so on and so forth until the letter Z. And so it made it really handy when I went to start a podcast because I just used each section to label each episode. And so I begin a new season after I get to the end of the alphabet. And again, that allows me some freedom to decide what each season is going to be about. So that brings me back to the movie thing again, like each season of Mm -hmm. my life, I am just exploring different things. When you joined me on the podcast, I was in a season about storytelling and I had you on the episode about vulnerability, letter V. And now I'm heading into a new season about empowerment. So Mm. I'm starting that in about a week and it'll be just all about how we can be empowered to reach our goals. That's great. After we'd connected, you reached out and you mentioned that when you've been thinking about this season that I'm doing on healing, a lot of different thoughts had come to your mind. And so I want to just jump right into that. What has God been bringing to your mind in terms of healing as you've been processing this? Yeah. So the experience that kept coming to mind, it happened about a decade ago and my husband and I were newly married and we were coming back from a trip from California. We'd went on a road trip and I'm from Utah. So it's about 12 hour drive. And we had been on the road for a little bit, a couple hours when we got to this big area of traffic and we found out what was happening was that there was a criminal that was on foot. And so the police had to stop the traffic on the freeway And so we were at a standstill. We had to turn off our car. It was like a sitting parking lot. Hmm. And we ended up being there for four hours, just sitting there on the freeway. And we were tired. We were wanting to get home. You know, we wanted to relax from our vacation. But we were just sitting there. We watched some movies on my husband's laptop and tried to make the most of things. But finally, the freeway opened up and we were able to go. So we're driving along. So excited to be out of it. We're heading into Las Vegas. And we didn't notice that the speed limit decreased. And so we get pulled over. My husband's driving and he doesn't even try to talk the officer out of a ticket, which I was impressed by, but a little mad by. I was like, oh, (laughs) we've just been in this awful situation and here you are giving us a ticket. But anyway, so my husband just accepts the ticket and we go on our way. And because we're out of state, it's hundreds of dollars. And I was bitter about that for about a month. And it seems so silly now looking back, you know, of course, but in the moment, and I still remember those heavy, heavy emotions and just being mad and especially mad at God, because on our trip, we had gone to some different temples. I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so my husband and I like to plan our road trips around the temples in the United States. And so on that California trip, we'd stayed at the Queen Mary boat and we'd gone whale watching and done all these things, but we'd also seen the temples in the area, Newport Beach and Los Angeles. And so I didn't understand because We'd just done this really good thing. We'd gone to these places of worship and we were on a spiritual high, but we got this ticket and I just, it didn't seem fair. And we were even going to the Las Vegas temple. So I just, I was mad at God because I was like, we're being obedient. We are doing everything right in our life. Why did we get a ticket that was hundreds of dollars? And of course, looking back, it seems small, but it really impacted me. And so I was trying to 
make peace with it and trying to move on. And fortunately, a few weeks later, we had a lesson that we taught. At that time, we were teaching the youth in our congregation Sunday school class. And so we had a lesson on adversity. Hmm. And I just really remember having this realization that how can we expect to stand with the prophets and the heroes and all the great people of the world that have sacrificed so much without going through anything ourselves? And we know that adversity and trials bring us closer to God. If we let them, you know, people can always turn away, but it's a great way to remember God and just to stay humble. So it was just a really good learning experience and a healing experience that God taught me through that. Even if you are obedient, it doesn't mean you're going to be exempt from trials and hardship. Yeah, there's so many nuggets in there that I feel like we can dive into. And, you know, you mentioned it a couple of times. You said, you know, I know it seems like a small thing. And that really struck me because I feel like that's something that I experience as well, that I will experience something and then I will diminish it Mm. because this thing that I think is rough is nothing compared to this friend who has cancer or this friend in this really rough situation. Or, you know, even I was feeling intensely nauseous yesterday. It really just knocked me out. And even today, like I'm still on the back end of it, still not feeling 100%. But I have a brother who has Crohn's and he was in intense pain. I'm like, I can't complain. (laughs) It's interesting, right? Like what we're talking about is perspective. And there's a healthy and unhealthy element to that, right? The healthy element is to hold things in perspective and to like say in a positive way, like what I'm going through seems awful, but this isn't the way I want to word it, but it's not as bad as it could be. I feel like there's a different way to word it, but it is this like keeping ourselves from sinking too low because we're holding in perspective. But the negative way is to diminish and to say, well, this shouldn't be impacting me because it's not as bad as these other things. So how have you found yourself learning how to tread that balance of perspective of both not letting something have too much control over you, but also not dismissing things that actually like that ticket had an impact on you. And so it's worth pressing into that. Yeah, that's a good question. I think with time, we realize, you know, we gain wisdom over time and through experience. And so I had another friend that was sharing with me an experience that she had because we were talking about big emotions and just how to process them. And so it was funny because I watched her do the same thing that I'm doing yet here. I'm doing it. And (laughs) she was saying, it seems so silly now, but it's so true. You know, it does impact us. And so at the time this all happened, my husband and I were going to school. So we were college students. So money really did matter. Mm -hmm. But now that I'm in a place where, you know, we could afford a ticket like that, maybe it's not as impactful. So certainly your circumstances or where you're at in life will impact things. So yeah, just time and experience, I think is what happens. But I do like how you put those two next to each other, because it's true. It's it's a good reminder that things could be worse than they are. And other people are going through a lot more, or it could be no, what you're going through is still that's your mountain. That's the cards you were dealt. And it's still something you need to learn and discover too. Yeah. The reality is the story you told isn't just the story of a ticket. It's the story of unexpectedly being stuck in traffic for four hours with the car off with no idea when you would get out. And sometimes we do have these things that happen in our life that impact us on a deep level, sometimes that we realize, sometimes that we don't, but then it shapes everything else that happens. So something that may have been small in and of itself when paired with four hours because there's an active manhunt, (laughs) right? That now is no longer its own independent thing. So when we stretch that out, I mean, I'm just now even thinking of the place that I've been mentally for the past few weeks 
there have been so many things that have been just frustrating. Our cat's getting older. So we got insurance for her because we're like, maybe we should do this now that she's getting older. So they're not, we're not surprised by a cost. And the very first time we had to put a claim in, it was denied. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why are we doing this? <laughs> the whole reason we got it, you're not doing it. I've got a home warranty. Our HVAC system is struggling. I have the warranty largely for the HVAC system. It's going to cost us over $1,000 to do something for an old system that really should just be replaced. I'm like, why do I have the home warranty if it's not going to be covered? And there's been thing after thing after thing like that. So I'm in this place where there's all these frustrations and they begin to compound so that when something else happens, if I'm not careful, I can be prepped to be even more frustrated mm. because of that compounded frustration. One of the things that I've been trying to do is daily try to, you know, I guess a good way to put it is the way that scripture put it, it's to take your thoughts captive, right? Try to take my thoughts captive <laughs> to know, yes, these are frustrating things. Yes, I am justified in being frustrated, but I do not need to let this control me. And I think that's the other tension too, is moving forward in a way where you can acknowledge the reality of something without, again, dismissing it or over... But I don't know. I feel like there's just some piece about as we grow and mature, knowing how to take that step of keeping on walking. So for you, what does that look like when adversity hits? How do you take those steps forward? Hmm. Obviously, I'm still learning because nothing immediately came to mind. It's like, yeah, what do I do? No, prayer is always, always a good one. A quote that comes to mind is, use God as a steering wheel, not a spare tire. And it's so true. We, we need to be using him to guide our lives and not just when an emergency hits, you know? So we have that relationship with God so that when something does come along, it's not like, oh yeah, I haven't talked to you in a while, but can you help me? <laughs> you know, and mm -hmm. not that he wouldn't love to hear from us regardless, but your relationship with God is a good foundation. And then always turning to the scriptures. I, in preparation for this, I was looking through a few of my favorites just to prepare. And Romans 8 just had a really, a ton of, of ones that stuck out to me. And so Romans 8.18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And so just trying to maintain that perspective, it's so hard in the moment, like you were saying, a lot of times it comes after, but really just trying to remember that, you know, this is a small moment and really what is going to come is going to be a lot better. And even if it's after we die, but there's so much more coming for us than what's happening now. Yeah. And that's something that in other areas, we can accept that reality, the reality that where something is heading can be worth the struggle to get there. So if somebody is trying to get in shape, right, they first start to exercise and they hate it with a passion because their body's rebelling against it. But eventually they get into the shape that they were hoping for and they look back and they're like, yes, or, you know, marathon runners. I do not run. But I will see pictures of friends who do, and they're smiling after running a marathon. <laughs> all the work that they had put into that, all the practice, all the miles, 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 that moment made those excruciating runs worth it. So we can see this in other areas of our life where we will struggle for a time because we know where it is leading. And that vision is enough to keep us going. And we can know this in our heads to be true about God and about scripture and about eternity, but we really struggle to actually believe that, to live it out. In our day-to-day -day life, it is much easier for us to question that. 
So why do you think it is that it is so hard for us to have that mindset when it comes to God, to be able to say, God knows that plans he has for me and he is a good God and a loving God. Like, why is it so hard for us to accept that, but we can accept something like a marathon? Yeah, I think it comes back to what you were saying earlier, that we're human and we just have these natural tendencies that we're trying to overcome in patience and you know, we want that instant gratification. With a marathon, it's finite and you know there's an end. And when you get to the end, you feel it and it feels like an accomplishment. But with God, we don't know his timeline. His timeline's way different than ours. And he has reasons that we don't understand or see yet. And so I think that's the humanness that we're trying to overcome is to become more like God so he can be more patient and long suffering and just all those qualities that we're trying to gain. Yeah. Something else that came to mind earlier when you're asking what else helps with adversity, there's always been this visual that I love, and it's an old-fashioned scale with the weights and balances, and the demands are on one side and our resources are on the other. So a lot of the times, the demands outweigh the resources that we feel like we have to cope. And so as we add more to our resources, we can handle those demands. And so I was just trying to think of more resources we could add so that we don't feel like all these things are piling up that you were saying. And so, yeah, family and friends and previous experiences where we've overcome or any of those supports that we can seek out. Yeah. It's reminded me of something that keeps on coming up in episodes of the importance of community. Mm -hmm. And I think of it in terms of if scripture says that we're called to love God and love others, what that means is that we're called to be in relationship with God and relationship with others. Because especially in America, it can be a very individualistic, self-sufficient culture. Mm -hmm. And it's actually shameful to be vulnerable with people, to put your business out there, to ask for help. Mm. Oh, man. Yes. You definitely don't ask for help unless you're at your lowest moment. It's just not what scripture calls us to. Scripture calls us to be in relationship, in community. And part of that is because we believe that we are self-sufficient, but we're not. Like We are not capable of living the life that we assume we should be able to leave because one, we barely know ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As you get older, you learn more about yourself and why you do the way you do. Oh, that's why I overreact to that. Oh, that's the trauma that's impacted me. That's shaping this. Like, There's so much that we learn about ourselves. So we don't even know ourselves. But even if we knew ourselves, we don't know other people and how they'll react and interact. And even if we had that on lock, we can't control the world. So if there's a global pandemic and everything's thrown for a loop, our job no longer exists, our income is depleted. Like there, there are so many things that in and of ourselves, we are not capable of doing on our own. And that's a hard thing for American culture to grasp with because- American culture is, no, if you work hard enough, fight hard enough, do this, that, or the other, then you can do whatever you want to do. And there are some valuable things within that mindset around hard work or around not underbelieving in yourself. But if scripture calls us to community, then to be solely individualistic misses the real opportunity, the real full life that we're invited to. And so I think you're right. Like there's these things that God is giving us to build up. So when adversity hits, we're not just on our own, by our own capacity, that we have been given community and we have been given God's capacity. (laughs) There's times when I've had strength that I'm like, well, that wasn't for me Mm because I don't know how I would have responded or I do know how I would have responded. It wouldn't have been that. 
off of that, so we can get to this place where we start to really want to seek God, really want to trust him, really want to press into loving others. And we're doing our best to live a good life. And this is the other piece of your story that really stood out to me, is that one of the big reasons that that moment hit so hard is because you were trying to honor God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, God, look, I'm giving up my time to honor you and you let this happen. And I feel like that's a sentiment that, I mean, if we're honest, all of us have felt. Mm -hmm. Most people on any given moment are trying to do the best they can and be the best they can be. And then when something goes wrong or is the opposite of what should have happened, it can be crushing. This is a big question, but why does God let adversity happen even to those that are really trying to seek him? Yes, several answers come to mind. So we'll just unpack them one at a time. The first one I was thinking of is just teaching us unconditional love. Because if we're going to say, oh yeah, God, I love you, but only when you bless me, mm-hmm. you know, then then that's, you know, the poor reflection on our character. We want to have that unconditional love that whatever's going to happen, we're going to trust God. We're going to have faith in him. We're going to believe that ultimately it's trying to teach us something or it's for our good. It's for some future event that he's trying to prepare us for. So that was the first one that came to mind. The next is, I briefly touched on this, it's to remind us that he's there and that we need to rely on him and that we're not doing this on our own, that it's not according to whatever we have, you know, the strength that we have in the Book of Mormon. It talks about the pride cycle a lot, where the people are righteous and they're prosperous and they're doing great, they're happy. And so after a while, though, that leads to pride and they're thinking that it's all because of them and, oh, look at me and how much wealth I have. So that turns to wickedness and destruction and more suffering. And then they're humbled and they remember God. And then it just keeps going around and around and around. So we just need those humbling experiences to remember God and not to get too caught up in ourselves and what we think we can do. Yeah. It's funny, though, because like you said, people say, why did God let this happen? And so it's like, well, we want to remember God, but we want to remember that he's good and that he doesn't always let these things happen, but they just do. A big thing is agency. Everyone has choices. And so if you get hit by a drunk driver, that was their agency, their choice to drive drunk. You just got hit by them because of their choice and God won't take away our choices. And so he lets things happen for that reason. Yeah, because we're using our own logic, right, of Mm. really what we're saying is we want God to make sure nothing bad happens to us. That's ultimately what we're saying. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) there's a lot to unpack even in that, right? Why is it we feel like we deserve nothing bad to happen to us for one? Like, why is it that we want God to control so much, but then we get mad when things don't go the way we want because God's trying to do something different? Like, we want him to control things in the way we want him to control it, but not if his agenda is different than ours. I feel like there's a lot we can unpack even in that. We really do believe that if God is God and God is good, that nothing bad should exist. But what we're really talking about is eternity at that point. (laughs) Like, you know, Revelation talks about a dream scenario that all of us kind of want to happen now. The late part of Revelation, (laughs) a lot of rough stuff before that. But this idea of there would be no more tears, Mm -hmm. right? Like no more suffering and no more darkness. And we love that. And we want that now. But what we fail to realize is that that is then and now is us being invited to learn what it means to seek God in the midst of a broken world and broken bodies. You know, you've noted it a few times. 
it is important for us to continue to grow because we are not yet grown. Like we are not yet matured in a complete sense. Like we are maturing, we are growing, we are being transformed. We are being made into his likeness. Like it's this progressive thing. I mean, honestly, if I were to go into eternity as I am right now, like I just talked earlier about, I have frustrations. I've been frustrated for most of 2022. Mm -hmm. And this is the other piece is that while the things that I'm frustrated about, many of them are valid. In light of eternity, they're nothing. So much of scripture talks about things fading away. Mm-hmm. The things of this world are going to just crumble and be, be gone in light of eternity because that's what happens. Anything that you and I physically have around us, time will eventually degrade those and they won't exist anymore. And we hold so tight to the things in our lives, the ways that we want things to go, forgetting that in light of eternity, those are nothing. And so our frustrations, things that we even decide are adversity, sometimes those are because of the holds we have on things that will fade. How do we change that hold then? If we're grasping to the wrong things, the wrong expectations, the wrong goals and ambitions, how do we shift what our hold is on? That's good. I think I'm going to think about that and come back to it. And the two things that came to mind while you were talking is, I love the perspective of a puzzle because that just really resonates with me. We see our lives as these little puzzle pieces and they don't make sense. And like you said, we hold on to them and we label them as adversity or happiness and God can see the whole puzzle put together. And so we don't understand how they're going to interact or work out. And then the other thing that came to mind is always the parallel between parenting and how God sees us mm-hmm. because he is our parent. And I've been a teacher. I've, I know those helicopter parents who are just trying to shield their children from every hardship and bad thing and unfair act. And it just ends up hurting the child in the end because then they don't have the skills to cope when they're an adult or they don't have the understanding or the experience of the hardship. So Again, it's just our loving Heavenly Father. He just knows what's going to prepare us for who he wants us to be. Okay. And then as for your question, that is a tough one. (laughs) I just know that the more we develop a relationship with him again, he'll either let those things fall out of our lives completely or he'll let them fall into place. So again, it comes back to patience. I don't know. I feel like I'm talking in circles because it's all connected. But the way we do that is just having that relationship with God. And then the more we have that relationship, the more we can become like him and follow his example of what's truly important in life and the things that we can really take with us. I think that's a huge one because so many things that we cling on to are part of mortality or things that won't matter in the end. Family relationships, for example, will be able to have those continuing into the eternities or our knowledge of God, our testimony, our belief in him, whereas we won't be able to take our riches and our treasures and our, you know, the things that we see as important, but are just trivial or just for this life. It was funny when you said you feel like you're going in circles, but it comes back to this thing, like the scripture that came to my mind. And I mean, it's one of many scriptures, but the seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things, things will follow. As simple as it is, like that's the answer. And you even talked about it when talking about adversity, that it reminds us that we need God. Or in other words, it gives us an opportunity to seek God, whereas we wouldn't have otherwise. If that road trip was without any issues, then outside of visiting the temples, it could have been easy to like just turn on the radio. And But that moment happened where it's like, ah. and I feel like that happens in life. Like we can get caught up in just living life that we forget to seek God. And this isn't to say, now somebody could hear that and say, well, that seems kind of cruel that God would then do something mean to you to make you seek him. And 
Honestly, I don't think that's the case because we, again, live in a broken world and we're broken people. Hardship's going to happen regardless. Another way of putting it, it makes me think of in the Old Testament where it talks about Israel would get into that place where they would like, oh, God, we need you. We love you. And God's like, all right, I'll free you from captivity. And they're like, thank you. Bye. (laughs) And then they go about their lives and forget about God. And it's almost like there are times where like God's like, I said that if we stay in relationship, I will protect you. You are leaving the relationship. So you're also leaving that protection. Like you are choosing to step out on your own. And I'm giving you, like you noted, free will. Mm -hmm. I would much rather you not step out on your own, but I'm not going to helicopter parent you. (laughs) But I will be here when you inevitably get in too deep, right? So it's not that God's a cruel God doing mean things to teach his kids a lesson, which I understand why somebody could interpret it that way. The reality is, is that he is a patient God who puts up with a lot from us because we will continue to learn these same lessons over and over and over. But if we're wise, we'll be humble enough to learn a little more each time how to stop being so confident in ourselves and to start seeking God first. I did love that analogy though you brought up about the helicopter parenting and more parenting in general, because I'm with you that when you become a parent, you begin to understand who God is as father in a much more robust and nuanced way. Because I can look at the ways that I interact with my kids and decisions that I make for them that now I could say, oh, that must be why God did this or why God didn't do that. There are plenty of times where I have done or said things that my kids have thought were awful, but only because they did not know that eating marshmallows for breakfast isn't (laughs) nutritious Mm -hmm. or that running out into the road isn't safe. Like there's a lot that they didn't understand about how life works that I do. And that I knew that there's nothing I could say to actually help them to see it or to convince them. And I feel like in the same way God does that, and we'll get so frustrated with them for not explaining it to us or for taking away something or not letting us experience something that we forget that maybe he knows a little more than we do Mm -hmm. about life, about ourselves. And maybe he's after something more than the here and now. And I think that's the biggest piece is, You know, I know someone who is also a parent, but he identifies as an atheist. Mm -hmm. And something he comes back to is, he's like, well, in scripture, God kills children. And how could a good father do that? I would never kill my children. And, and it's, it's hard, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's a, it's a hard connection because he's pulling from real scripture. Mm -hmm. But I think one big difference is when God does not stop hardship in our life, when God does not stop adversity in our life. One thing that he knows is what we said earlier, that the hardship, the adversity, the pain, all of that is actually going to fade because that's not the final destination. That's not the end of us right there. And so anything that God allows to happen here and now in these human bodies, he knows in eternity does not carry the same sting. It even says in scripture, oh, death, where is your sting? For us, death still has a sting. We might be afraid of dying and we're broken when somebody dies around us. But God understands death in a whole different way. He's like, yeah, I get why that is hard, Mm -hmm. but that's not the final thing. It actually has no sting, but I can't help you to understand it. So like he sees our adversity differently because he sees a much bigger picture. Whereas we're like, this hurts right now. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean he doesn't care. Jesus wept when Lazarus died, even though he knew he could raise him from the dead because death had no power, Mm -hmm. but he still wept because he understood there is still pain in the adversity. But what he was inviting us to is to not be ruled by the adversity, to not be trodden down by the adversity. 
to learn how to keep on stepping to the point where we could be like the Apostle Paul. I've learned the secret to being content in all situations, in every situation, even the worst case scenario. Yeah. When you were talking about your kids and not eating marshmallows for breakfast, that's what they would do. They would label you as mean or just like we're talking about with God, like, oh, that's rude. You know, he's giving us all this adversity, but you're right. Without that explanation, that's what it looks like. And oh, there was something else with that too. Oh, it was with when children are killed or pass away at a young age. Really, we don't know what they have been spared from. Maybe they're the lucky ones, you know, because this world is broken and there's global pandemics and horrible things happening. So maybe that was just all that was required for their experience on earth. But yeah, it is heartbreaking when that happens too. Yeah. And this is the hard part, right? Because like, as you share that, even it makes me think of, you know, my wife and I had two miscarriages Mm -hmm. and I've got a number of friends who, several friends who have had miscarriages in the last year. And I just released an episode on miscarriage and that it's just particularly heavy because like they didn't even get a chance to live. Like what in the world, God? And we prayed for the life of our children and and, you didn't get to and meet them. God didn't bring them back and didn't yeah. get to meet them. And, and honestly, like some of the most hurtful things were platitudes that people would throw out that it's like, ah, that doesn't help right now. Right. It's like, because it's so hard to make sense of it. And this is, I think the particularly hard, but powerful part of the invitation is yes, it's easy to seek God when things are going well. It's sort of easy to seek God when things are a little hard, but you see a way through. But when you don't see a way through, or when it does not make sense and seems unfair and cruel, like children dying, man, why would I still want to seek this God? And that's the part of the invitation that really tests one's resolve. Am I willing to seek God and follow him wherever? Or is it conditional? As long as it makes sense to me, As long as it generally works out for me, maybe a few hardships, but generally works out, I will seek God under those conditions. But if it doesn't make sense, and if it seems wrong, then I won't. And logically, it makes sense, because why would you want to follow something that seems wrong? And it is on a level risky. But this is the thing, like when Jesus says to hate your father and mother and your own siblings in your own life and to die to self and pick up your cross and follow me, that was a a risky and foolish call. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? Why don't you come and let yourself be killed? (laughs) Like that's because if that's if life is all there is, then boom, that's that's done. And it's following this guy that had already lost a lot of his followers because they're like, oh, he's talking crazy right now. So it it really does test our resolve. To what extent are we actually saying we're all in Mm -hmm. for following God? And it's okay if our answer is, ah, I do have conditions, I do have reservations because. We are still in process. The expectation should be that you will actually have holdouts, right? Mm -hmm. But then the invitation there is to say, well, what will I do about it? How am I going to respond to this barrier between me and God? How am I going to respond to this frustration and anger I have towards God? How am I going to press into this? Because again, it's a patient God who's willing to walk with us. The danger is if we try to convince ourselves that, nope, I'm all in, I'm good. Then when those moments happen then our self-preservation is going to kick in and we will either blind ourselves to something, we will convince ourselves of something that's not true, or we will dismiss God. Mm -hmm. But if we're honest and say, nope, in my best of efforts to seek God, I still have moments where I get off track or I get frustrated or I get angry or I question him, but I'm still going to step forward. Like that's something very different. 
Yes, it's all part of the journey. And again, it goes back to why these key things keep happening to keep reminding us to seek God, to keep reminding us to strengthen our resolve or our faith and to believe in him, even when it's hard. And, you know, that's the definition of faith is just walking into the unknown or trusting him to lead us when it is dark. There's a quote that says, great faith has a short shelf life. So you can't just say, yep, I have faith. I'm good. I'm done. It's a continual process. Or another example is faith is like when you're working out, you're strengthening your muscles. You're never just fit and you can't just stay that way. They'll degenerate. Your muscles will break down. And so same with your faith. You just got to keep strengthening it, keep working those muscles and keep going. Yeah. And you know, this, as you're talking about dark, makes me think about how we actually don't understand darkness even, Mm. right? Like for us, darkness is darkness. It's complete dark. But very few people have actually been in pitch darkness because that does not exist in many places, right? Yeah. One of the places where you can find pitch darkness is if you were down, down, down in like a cave or a cavern. And so I'm thinking specifically of, I think it was Luray Caverns, and you end up walking down maybe a mile down, down, down into the caverns. And at one point they're like, all right, now we're going to shut off the lights so that you can see what pitch darkness looks like. And they do it. It's At first it's familiar because we've all experienced being in a bright space and then going to dark space. But then suddenly you realize it just seems thicker and, and all that. And then they turn on a little light off in the distance that meant to represent a candle. And it seems so bright. If that was on in any room, we wouldn't even notice it. But in this pitch darkness, it suddenly really stands out. And the power of light and darkness, it can be the smallest light and it could be enough to illuminate. I think of the same thing when I would do photography. I used to go into a dark room back when there was film. (laughs) If people used film, you would have to develop it in a dark room, but you can't develop film if you can't see what you're developing, so they use a red light. Mm -hmm. But when you walk in, it seems like it's too dark to do anything. But as your eyes adjust, eventually you suddenly realize, oh, I can see everything perfectly. We understand darkness. We understand adversity in the worst case scenarios, the most daunting, the most heavy. And we forget that God is like that little candle in the cavern. (laughs) Even if he is just present in a little way, it's enough to illuminate the darkest cavern. But the reality is, is that scripture says that he'll never leave us or forsake us, that he is present, a present help in danger. And so that means that in our darkest of moments, even if it's just a little bit of God, it's enough to illuminate, but oftentimes it's going to be a whole lot of God, Mm -hmm. but it just might look different than what we had hoped. It might not happen in the timing that we had hoped. And sometimes you might notice it because we might be so afraid of the darkness that we've closed our eyes. Mm. And so we can't see the light because we've got our eyes clenched, closed out of fear. Mm -hmm. It comes back to the perspective piece. It comes back to understanding more and more who God, as you mentioned it, as we grow in relationship to him, we begin to understand him more deeply, but also the world around us more fully and know how to operate. But a lot of times it takes that darkness because as you mentioned, if that candle was in a room that was lit, if everything was going great and everything was perfect, we wouldn't hardly notice God, Mm -hmm. but it takes that darkness sometimes to bring us to him. Yeah. Yep. Well, I feel like there's so much more we could tap into here and especially the topic of adversity is just very rich and robust. Mm -hmm. As we close out, I've got two more questions. The first one is if anyone wanted to connect with you or your podcast or anything like that, what's the best way for them to do so? Yeah. So my podcast is A is for Adversity and I recently changed my Instagram name. So it's streamlined with that. It's A is for Adversity just on Instagram. They could also email me at jenbank16 at gmail.com. So that's the easiest way. 
Nice. And then the last question is, is there anything else in your heart that you want to share before we go? I think we actually touched on it all, which is hard sometimes, you know, but we talked enough in circles that I think we were able to go back and circle back. You will walk, you will run, dance through the streets, shouting praise to the one. You're healed, you're clean. Go out, tell the people what you've seen. Revived in him, new life in him. 2 Corinthians 4 says this, starting in verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And moving ahead to verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I often think about that one verse, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Because let's be honest, our adversity does not feel light, and it does not feel momentary. But when it is compared to eternity, when it is compared to eternal things, light and momentary are overstatements. We can know this in our head, but in our lives, it can be so hard to really live into this truth. It can be so hard to release the things that have such a firm grip on us. It can be so hard to trust that God actually is doing abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. And so if you're feeling like that, if you're feeling like the adversity is winning, I want you to know it's okay. You're human, and this world is hard and confusing. What's more important is what's going to happen next. Do you give up, or do you take another step? Even if it's small, even if it's timid, even if you have no idea where your foot's going to land, Will you take another step towards this God who is promising abundantly more, who is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison? What we're talking about is difficult. I mean, these words in 2 Corinthians are not light. Afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Yet in the midst of these awful things, What is made clear is that they are not crushed. 
They are not driven to despair. They are not forsaken. They are not destroyed. And the life of Jesus is also manifested in the midst of that death. We are talking about a difficult tension here of awful things in the midst of life, awful things in the midst of glory, awful things in the midst of abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. When we are in the midst of adversity, our first prayer is often always that God would remove the adversity. But when he doesn't, the invitation is to say, if God's not going to remove it, how will I step forward towards him in the midst? What Paul knew is that the hardships that they faced were creating something beautiful that they could never have created on their own. And in the same way, the hardships that you face, God may be creating something more beautiful than you could have ever created on your own. And not only is he creating it, he's inviting you into it. No matter how hard your situation, I want you to know that you do not need to be crushed. You do not need to be driven to despair. You are not going to be forsaken. You will not be destroyed. And although it may feel at times like you are carrying death, the life of Jesus can be within you. So do not lose heart. Though your outer self may feel like it's wasting away, your inner self can be renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. As you look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. God is at work on something eternal within you. So in the midst of your adversity, take a moment to stop, look around, and ask yourself, where did you see God? Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation, but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible. Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the Person Who Doesn't Want to Read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what Revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal Revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One, you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free. Get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book.
Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?